Take a trip back to junior high with me for a minute. I can remember walking into class when I was in school, seeing a substitute teacher standing at the front of the room, and in my seventh grade mind thinking, gonna be an easy day. That is exactly what our guest today is making sure doesn't happen. We wanted to make sure that the people we were putting in place were equipped to keep that instruction flowing so that when the teacher did come back, that time wasn't lost. At the end of the day, to me, the most important beyond the cost savings is were we able to keep that consistency for the students and were we able to provide them with quality people who want to be there to teach? So to do that, they've completely retooled how they run their substitute program. And it's had a pretty powerful impact on everything from fill rates to substitute morale to how they hire new teachers. I mean, you can be in a four-year program or however many years it takes, but until you're in that classroom with those students, it's still not the real deal until you experience it. No matter how prepared you are, you're never prepared enough when you step in there. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip. Not far from Nashville, the Clarksville-Montgomery County School System is the seventh largest district in Tennessee. It serves over 36,000 students, consists of 42 schools, and after the Fort Campbell Army Post, is the second largest employer in the area. Over 2,300 certified teachers teach in the district. And from 2005 to 2014, when one of those teachers was out sick, or took time away for professional development, or for any other reason wasn't in the classroom, the district outsourced to a company to find substitutes. But in 2014, they said, you know what? We're going to bring this back in-house, hire our own substitute teachers, take care of it ourselves. Now, we know that for all of you working in education, you might have 99 problems, but too much time on your hands ain't one. So what made Clarksville-Montgomery County decide to take on this task? Well, to find out, I called up Melissa Isaac. Since 1999, she has worked in the district as a substitute teacher, a teacher, and an assistant principal. She worked in human resources with the substitute program for five years and now serves as the director of educator quality, working to attract and retain the best teaching candidates. Melissa told me that in 2014, their director of human resources, who at the time was Sidney Miller, a colleague who now works here at Frontline, saw a number of benefits to running their own substitute program rather than relying on a separate company. Going back just from my personal experience as a teacher, you know, we were we were in-house years and years ago, but it was a, a much smaller scale. Um, we had one person making calls. And so around 2005, I believe, we outsourced um, with a company. And we stayed with them for until 2014. But at that time, um, thought about what could we do if we were able to bring it back in-house and looking at, you know, the involvement we could have as a district directly involved with the people that we're selecting, um, also a money saver, and could we use that money that we were spending on outsourcing to put back in the classroom in other ways while we're building um, the capacity within our own program and having that involvement directly with the folks that we're bringing on working with our students. So when we brought the program back in-house, you know, yes, we wanted to, to make sure we were using the money in the best way possible, but we also wanted to improve the quality. And it's very difficult to improve the quality if you don't have that direct hand in who's being selected and in the training. 
So, you know, that was the bonus to doing that is that we had that ability. And so for me, when I came on with the program and, and worked with Sydney at the beginning in the development, it was very reflective of what did I experience as a teacher and also reflecting back on as a sub, what were my experiences there? So, you know, and again, so we, we made that initial decision that was when they made the initial decision, that was the goal was to improve the program, but also saving the district the money and reinvesting it in ways that would impact the the children positively. Since Melissa had the perspective of once being a substitute herself, I asked her to look at the pros and cons of bringing the program back in-house from both the district side of things as well as the substitute side. I think the pros, you know, already saying this, the cost savings, that was incredible. You know, also, though, being able to direct your own recruitment, you know, you know, as a district, what the expectations are and having that direct involvement and direct connection with the people that are working with you. You know, it's difficult to do that when you're outsourcing. You don't know who's being selected. You don't know what the what the selection process is. We were able to design our own selection process. We designed our own induction training. The follow-up trainings that we were able to design all matched up with, with the needs of the students and the needs of the classrooms and the teachers. Anytime when you're taking that on, the challenge, of course, is Shifting, if you've been been with a program that that had years of success outsourcing, you know, but as as those years gone on, you could see some changes and some declines and different things like fill rate. But overall, you know, it was a successful program. When you're going to then shift directions and say well, we're going to bring it back in house, I think that that causes some some apprehension. I guess the way to put this is back before we outsourced smaller scale, that was difficult. When we outsourced, initially you had this great result, but then as that went on, you could see the decline. So to sell, to say, okay, well, now we're going to change again, you know, people were a little concerned. Is it going to work better or is it going to put us back to what we were pre-outsourcing? So I think that was a big challenge in making that decision. But, you know, and then just thinking about how we're going to manage now going from an outsourcing company that has a call center and different things like that, we're going to manage that with our own in-house office staffed with four people. So that, you know, that is a challenge in itself. But again, the the pros outweighed the cons in that because we had ways of, you know, we, we really focused on building relationships with the schools and getting direct involvement from the schools, the office personnel, the principals. And by doing that, we, we never had that opportunity before because we weren't directing that training or directing those placements in the classrooms. So even though there are challenges with it and just managing the number of absences we have a day and making sure that, you know, you feel that pressure if you don't have them all filled and you want to make sure that the best people are in there. But at the same time, the pros outweigh those those challenges. When they were outsourcing, one problem, Melissa said, was that the chances to build ongoing relationships with substitutes were limited. You would have repeat subs that would come back and you would have relationships with them, but there were it was a very low number because, you know, just of the, the variability on who's going to accept those jobs. It really was dependent upon did the teachers build the relationships with the subs and plan ahead with them. But, you know, on most days you're going to have different people. And, you know, from, from the outsourcing standpoint, you, you did not have control of who was going to be in there unless you had a special request. And, and that wasn't always something that could be, be fulfilled. And if you're looking at long terms, you know, you're at the the um, mercy of that outsourcing company to identify who they feel is the best fit. And sometimes they may not know your specific needs. And, and we didn't really um, have that 
constant connection or communication where we were giving that input. Um, now, if you had a concern, then, of course, you had the ability to, to discuss that, and that person may not return. But when it came to the opposite and the proactive feel of it, that wasn't something that we really had an involvement in. So talk to me about what it looked like when you made this switch. When you brought the program in-house, it, it can't have been easy. How did you go about doing it? No, it was not easy. It was exciting, but um, you're starting from scratch. So when we first started, I believe it was April of 2014, we were planning for that go live in August. We were going to start that, you know, that, that school year off. Start that school year off running the substitute program and filling absences with a team of four people, that is. With four people, exactly. With, you know, 35 to 40,000 absences a year, which, you know, to some districts is probably not much, but it's it's big for us and it would continue to grow and our district has grown so so quickly that, you know, that number was going to increase. So our first challenge was how are we going to get enough people on staff? Because you had to go through the hiring process and, and training and, and we didn't just want to roll over because we wanted to make sure that we were selecting the best of the best to come on with us. So that year from August, I'm sorry, from April um, until August, we did interviews, we did daily orientations, and, and these orientations were full days, and every day we were doing them. And by the end of the summer, by July, we had hired 500 subs. Some of those were subs that were existing with us, you know, in the previous outsourcing program, but they applied as well and, you know, went through that, that same training and processes because our expectations, we were very detailed in the expectations of the program. And again, that was a great benefit of building the program from scratch is because we could develop our policies that were in line with the district and, and what we expected our substitutes to do. You know, we were very big. We didn't want a babysitter. We didn't want a warm body. We wanted to change that perception of just having somebody in the classroom. And so that started at the beginning when we were developing that training. And those those different steps that the, the subs went through as far as applying, references, and then just the general training. So by July, we had hired 500. I'll say August, we had fi- hired 500 people. And then as our subs started filling those positions, the teachers, the schools started seeing those subs and then wanted to start hiring those subs into permanent <laughs> positions. So, you know, that that staffing was continuous. And I think to date, since that beginning in 2014, when we first started hiring the very first sub, we've hired over 3,000 subs since then. Wow. Wow. Hired and trained. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the nature of that position. But we've also had about 800 of them that have been hired into permanent spots. Hmm. So, it was it was definitely that was our biggest challenge is just to make sure are we going to have enough people when day one hits and we did and and you know and we had a great first year we had a great fill rate we had uh, the support you know we had to go through trainings we trained different key personnel at the schools we trained bookkeepers on how they were going to approve time and what that was going to look like that same year we also automated our professional leave process where before people were doing paper sheets we did everything through the system that we were using. Um, and that was a change for everyone, but it was it was an increased efficiency in an area that we really needed to address. So, you know, again, having that ability to start from scratch and develop our own way of doing things allowed us to do that. And it really impacted a lot of different departments, but lots and lots of training and prep and then just support through that first year. And we had experts at every school by the end of that first semester. They could go into the system and make changes to things. And, you know, they knew how to, they were empowered more to help manage their absences within the building. And that was the key to leaving having a company that had a call center to moving now into a four-person office. You empowered the people at the school that had direct contact with those subs, direct contact with those employees 
to have ownership in the management of their building absences. What did you see over that first year in terms of cost savings, in terms of your fill rates, in terms of the instructional quality? What, what impact has that had? The first year, we had a 99% fill rate, and we had over $300,000 in savings the first year. So, you know, and of course, that was going to continue to, to increase, you know, and then obviously it changes and it, vary, it varies with the number of absences you're going to have. I mean, we even restructured how we, we paid our subs. We went from, you know, what the former outsourcing agency was paying, we started paying on teaching experience. We wanted that value to be on people that have taught or people that were teaching or that were working to teach or to, to obtain their teaching credentials. One of the um, areas that we, that was a huge change for us that, that we were able to do by bringing it in-house is we started covering with special ed assistance. That wasn't something we typically did without the outsourcing company. We did when it was a position that was going to be vacated for several days, then we would bring in a substitute. You could special request a substitute. But what we started doing when we brought this program in-house is we provided all special education assistance with substitutes. So that consistency was there for the students. But what we also started doing was providing our substitutes with professional development, and they would be in classes, extended professional development, beyond the general substitute orientation. But they would be in professional development classes alongside teachers that are teaching the class. So if you had a scripted instructional program or, you know, any type of, of initiative, they were getting the same training the teachers were getting so that when that teacher was out, they knew exactly what was expected. And so, you know, that improved the consistency that we had with our teachers when they were gone by having somebody step in and not just step in to be that warm body or to do that worksheet. You had to keep it going because when those students were missing one day or, you know, whether they were missing a week, we wanted to make sure that the people we were putting in place were equipped to keep that instruction flowing so that when the teacher did come back, that time wasn't lost. You know, so we wanted it to be as similar experience with the teacher not being there as we possibly could. I mean, obviously, there's no replacement for the teacher, but we wanted to get as close as we could. And so that's why we were able to really direct those trainings and, and mimic those trainings for these folks so that they could be best equipped to do that. Now, it, it may be a cost savings, of course, but it could also be more work to do this than outsourcing is. Did it have a lot of extra time required from you and did that have, have downsides? Well, I mean, it takes, you know, we, we have a team solely dedicated to this, um, and it, it does take a lot of time, but I think you have, if you have the right people in place, we have a great team that always, you know, they, they owned it, and that could be a downside, too, because you, you do own it. If you don't have that feel, you own it. They, they take it personally. I mean, there were times that, you know, that you would be down to one or two absences that didn't have a fill and people in my office. And again, we're a four-person office. And when we first started, we were all in one room together. I would hear that they would get on the phone and say to the school, I'll come. I'll come and do it. And these are all people coming from, two, two of the folks came from, from schools, and then uh, one had worked in HR. This is the original team. And even since then, as we've had folks from the original team that have moved on to other positions, those that are coming in and filling in those spots and, and, and taking over those positions have come from different capacities within the district and, and have worked in different areas. But they would volunteer to go. I'll come out there. And then sometimes the schools would say they would take them up on it. Absolutely. We, we definitely need you. And then other times the school would then say, you know what, we're going to figure this out. But it was that willingness for, for them to do that. But that's all because they, they owned it and they wanted to see that 100% every day. 
you know, it's hard as you as you go in the in the absence numbers increase and just the dynamic of the position changes because when we first started, the economy was much different than it is now. And you had a lot of people that were struggling to find jobs. And so a lot of people were dedicated to working every day. And so as that changed, that's a challenge that you face because you have to, to then ad- adjust to what are our options right now? And, and, you know, and how are we staffing right now? Are we staffing with people that want to work five days a week? Or are we staffing with 90% of the people who want to work once every other week? And and so I think that has been a challenge. And just just the fact that the, the positive is that they own it, but that also can be a challenge sometimes because at, at sometimes you have to be able to say, and I would always tell them, you know, did you do the absolute best you could today to get those classrooms squared away? Did we did we think through every possible angle? And, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you you, you don't always have that 100%, but you know that you gave 100% of that effort. And that's that has always been the biggest challenge is not letting that, that day that may not hit where you want it to hit defeat you. I'm going to ask you to compare apples to oranges here for a second as we think about a couple of the benefits that you have mentioned, you mentioned cost savings, you mentioned, of course, an increased fill rate, and you mentioned the fact that you're really able to invest in your substitutes, provide ongoing professional development, impact educator quality, develop relationships. Is there one, is any one of these benefits one that you would say this is absolutely the most important thing to us or the biggest benefit that we have seen from a program like this? I think at the end of the day, the most important is what are we able to do for the students? And I speak from from being a parent, from being a teacher in that class, you know, from being a sub and administrator, just in being all of those angles. But, you know, probably most importantly, as a parent, when you have your child, you know, you send your child to school, you're entrusting them with with the person that's there with them. And, And it's, you know, not just instructional, but but in all aspects. And so I think for us as a program to know that we're doing whatever we can to make sure that somebody's going to be there for those students. And, and, you know, and sometimes it may not be a sub. Sometimes it may be that the sub program is working with the school to decide how can we cover this? You know, how can we partner with you to to work through a, a plan, you know, a plan within your building if you have these people available or these people. And, you know, and it's just brainstorming. But at the end of the day, to me, the most important beyond the cost savings is were we able to keep that consistent? consistency for the students and were we able to provide them with quality people who want to be there to teach. We always tell them if you're not tired when you leave at the end of the day, then you didn't do your job because you are going to be more than just showing up. And we get really um really direct when we're training because we want them to understand the the impact that they do have and I always give them an example and I say, you know, tell me the name of the person that checked you out at the grocery store or tell me the name of you know, if you still use a bank and you're not online, tell me the name of somebody there or tell me the name of, you know, the the nurses. I, I just different different positions. And then none of them usually will raise their hand, maybe a few here and there. And I'll say, now stand up if you can tell me your kindergarten teacher's name. And every one of them will stand up. I said, there's no position that you will ever work that will have the same impact that you will have in this position. I said, they will remember you for years. I said, and whether they remember you for the good or for the bad, that's in your control. Because they all do. We all know our teacher. We all know our favorite teacher. We all know our teacher that may not have been our favorite teacher. And it's all about how they made us feel about ourselves. And I said, you have the opportunity to do that for an unending number of students. And so I think 
for us at the end of the day, if we can have people on board and put people in those classrooms that see it that way, they're not doing it because they're getting this tremendous paycheck. Uh, you know, we could never pay them equivalent to what their value is. Those are the people that, that we want to have in the classroom, the ones that want to be there because of the impact more than anything. And so I think when we feel like at the end of the day that we have a team of people focused on that, that to me is more important than any cost savings or any efficiencies or anything like that that we've been able to improve if we know that we're putting the right people with the students that are going to have that impact that needs to happen. Absolutely. You've talked about how your program helps you be more inclusive to substitutes, uh, giving them a Clarksville-Montgomery County ID, an email address, and that kind of thing. Why is this important? What have you seen those efforts do? Well, you know, well, you'll hear from the substitutes. It's hard being the new person in any position. You know, your first new day on the job, and we always equate it to you're like the new person every single day, even just knowing where the break room is or where do you sign in. So for them, they don't want to have that awkward feeling like you have on the first day where you don't know where anything is. And so for them, being treated as part of the faculty, the students will, will, will view you that way too. If they're treated as separate or treated as just a sub, that's, that's the mentality we did not want to happen. We wanted them to be part of that team. And so they appreciate being valued. Giving them those badges, the, the school system badges were huge. They felt like they belonged and they could identify with our district. Again, I, I say it's never going to be the pay that keeps somebody doing it, although you know, obviously that's why why work happens. You have to have that income, but they appreciate being valued and being recognized as part of something more so than I think that we could ever pay them. And so that just them feeling that level of respect. And, you know, we always do um, end of the year surveys with our subs and have an end of the year lunch and learn. And, and we get that feedback from them. Like, what are your concerns? Or what, are, what was working? What's not working? What should we change? But one thing that's always constant is they appreciate being treated like part of the team. We had one school last year as they were doing their end of the year recognition through their faculty, they recognized some of the subs there. They had one, like a pep rally at the end of the year where they were in front of the students and in front of everyone, and they brought up a couple of the subs and just thanked them. For, and, and that was huge for them, and we heard that from the subs. And it was something so small that would seem so small, but it was huge for that substitute to feel like somebody noticed and noticed the work that they're doing, and they felt equal to the people and professional, and that, that's how they want to be treated. And, you know, if we want them to treat the position as a professional, we have to treat them in the position as a professional. Let's talk about data for a moment. Can you tell me what role data plays in your program? Do you use it to make better decisions, demonstrate return on investment? How do you use data, and where do you get it? The first year, we're looking at, do we have the fill rate? We want to maintain that fill rate or increase the fill rate. But we were also really looking at, are we saving money? We said we were setting out to save money, have better instruction, better folks in the positions. So that was kind of our primary focus with the data. But as the years have gone on, we already know we're saving money. That was a given. But what can we look at you know, in our practices. So something that when we look at data every single day, but we're looking at daily planning, we're looking at, we can predict the absences, like, you know, nobody's business. <laughs> you know, we know it down to a science that you're looking at a 15 to 20% increase at night. I can look at it at a certain time and we kind of make a game out of it for us. Like who's going to get the closest. And we've gotten really good at it. But 
But it helps us in knowing if I'm looking at Friday, you know, on Monday, if I'm looking ahead at Friday, we can already plan, all right, well, we know statistically this is what we're going to have, but we know that this time last year, this was the case. So we can communicate. We communicate directly with principals, level directors, our superintendent on certain situations to say, hey, this is going to be a huge day because then it gives them a heads up. They can start pre-planning. They can start communicating with teachers so that you don't have that last minute. We don't have a sub. What are we going to do? Because we want to be as prepared as we can. Sometimes we're looking at schools and, and we use that data to decide, can we use them somewhere else? You know, we've gotten to a point now where we'll have schools that will say, uh, hey, I can cover mine, use these subs somewhere else. And so we've had to really work to get it from being just a building level view to being a district level view, which is tough sometimes. But it, and it's taken a while, but, you know, having that ability to, to share that data, they can see the data. They know how to use reports in their system. We send the, the automatic report to the principals every day with their absences, but also monthly with the with the summary. We meet with the principals twice a year formally. I mean, we, we would meet with them anytime, but formally twice a year, and we present them with the data. We, we show them this is the number of absences for your school compared to the district, and then we'll give them kind of a, a dollar equivalent to what this is how much the, the subs cost this year. Here's how much of that cost is your percentage at your school. And what that does for them is it helps them to look into their own building to see, are there some areas that we need to to look at? And well, a lot of times you can equate absence practices with cultural um, indicators. So it may be that, you know, maybe we need to look at, you know, our building culture when it comes to absenteeism or when it comes to reporting absences. So we've even gotten so deep into that just by the data that we have and, and the comparisons that we can do. It helps us, you know, again, in tracking employee attendance. That's one of our strategic uh, work goals this year is to explore the impact of employee attendance on student achievement. So we're, we're working into that. But it's taken us a while to get to that level of data analysis. But then also looking at the data that we're, you know, we, we use feedback features in our program. And so looking at the feedback, maybe we get feedback, a constant feedback about a certain location. We're able to look into areas there. Are there things that we can do? Is it something on the school side that maybe they don't know or they're not aware of? Or are we able to collect certain data on a, a specific sub or a just in general, that helps us in, when we're developing new professional development. If it's an area we see a lot of concerns or data coming back on low um, low ratings in classroom management, then we're able to say, okay, well, this is this is what we want to direct our next focus on when it comes to that professional development. You know, what can we do to address it? And, and using whatever information we can to gather, whatever information we can gather to direct our next steps, uh, even to recruitment strategies. I mean, we just recently... We looked at um, fill rates across the district, and we pinpointed a certain campus um, has an elementary, middle, and high school that had one of the lowest fill rates. So what we just recently did is we did a job posting for positions in only that zone, only in that campus. So they did an intercession. We do intercessions and then orientations. Intercession basically gives you everything you need to know about what this job is going to be like, gets you a sneak peek so that they can decide do they want to move on with it. So we held that intercession at the campus that was identified as one of our lowest fill rates for for the time. And the only people that came there were the ones that specifically want to work at that location. So they had a great turnout and they had the ability to go around the school, get familiar with it, and then that group of folks will, will 
solely be focused on working in those buildings. The schools have their direct contact, so they've, they've kind of created their own preferred uh, grouping of people there. So that's, that's another way that we're using the data to, to drive what we're doing as a program beyond just the classroom. I, I want to ask you a little bit about hiring. You just mentioned hiring substitutes for a given school, but I'd like to think about something you mentioned earlier, and that was that over time you have hired over 800 certified and classified permanent positions from your substitute program. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how this program really helps your recruiting efforts for permanent positions. Does it make people more likely then to want to come into a permanent position? Absolutely. Um, That was one of those things that you don't really think about when we were first looking at the program and the goals of the program. We really weren't thinking about how that was going to impact or I, I won't say we weren't thinking about it. We didn't realize how much of an impact that would have. Our sub-to-perm hires, I mean, that, that model has been incredible as far as improving retention. And this has been on classified and certified side. So to talk about classified side, you know, mostly you're looking at special ed aides. And a lot of times in those positions, and, and you know, you're hiring folks into those positions that may never have been in a classroom or they may never have been in a self-contained special ed environment or, or any type of position like that. So, you know, they meet the criteria and they, they pass the assessment, but until you have that hands-on, and that's with teaching, I mean, you can be in a four-year program or however many years it takes, but until you're in that classroom with those students, it's still not the real deal until you <laughs> experience it. No matter how prepared you are, you're never prepared enough when you step in there. So what this has done is it has allowed folks that are interested, or maybe they thought they would never be interested in this. It's given them a chance to try it out. They're really only committing to seven and a half hours. If it's, you know, either the best seven and a half hours of your life or it's the worst, you get to decide whether you're going to do it again. But it's been great because it's allowed folks to really see what's needed in this job. There's no surprises when they go into it because they've been in in those positions. A lot of times, you know, what we also have the ability to do since it's in-house is when we have an open position that we're hiring for, we put a sub in that classroom. And so the sub is working in that role. And many times that sub's the one that's getting picked up for the position. But it gives them a chance to try it out, to see if they like it, develop their skills, gives the principal an opportunity to see that person in action, to see, you know, what qualities do they have? Is, is this someone that's going to be a good fit for us? It gives the sub a a good opportunity too to see which schools do you enjoy? What's the best fit for you? What matches, you know, what, what, what do you feel meets your needs the best? Because for somebody to stay in a position, yes, you have to enjoy the position, but you also have to enjoy the people you work with. You know, and I think it's just about finding that right fit. So this gives everybody, the subs, the teachers, the principals, gives everybody an opportunity to kind of try it out first to see, you know, find, find out what your best fit is. And it sounds like that might have a huge impact on uh, whether they stay there, whether you're yes. able to retain them too. Absolutely, yes, because, you know, you, you take out that variable of the unexpected because they've already experienced it, and you're also increasing their experience going into it because they've already been in those positions or they've already worked with those students. So they're taking out that piece of, of the unknown and, and coming in already with experience under their belt that they wouldn't have. It's, just, it's constant on-the-job experience for them. Hmm. Hmm. I just really have one more question, and that is, how have you changed the program over time? What have you learned since you began bringing the program within, you know, under your own roof? And how does it look different now from it did at the beginning? 
you know, I think I think our core values are still the same. I mean, that's always going to be the same. I think how we achieve our goals is, is having to change, you know, and just speaking about that earlier about, you know, the economy is very different. That's ever changing. So your challenge of you may have an abundance of applicants one year, you may not have that same number of applicants the next year, or maybe your applicant pool or your substitute pool and their personal needs are very different from year to year. It is one of the hardest positions to recruit for because, we all remember having substitute teachers, and we remember, I always tell them it's like karma. I said, however you treated your sub when you were a student, you're now on the opposite side of that. I said, so sometimes it's, it is a hard, a hard one to recruit for, but it also comes down to how we can sell that recruitment to them. It's more than just you showing up at this building. You're going to be a part of that building, and you're going to be a part of that education and a part of that continuity that they need. You know, I think the key for us, and and this will be a constant, but how we do it has to change is, you know, we have to provide an environment and experience that shows how much we value them. And we constantly are having to reflect on our current status, what's working for us, what's not working for us, and just change as the programs programs need to change. So some policies that we had in place at the beginning, we had a policy in place when we first started that, you know, subs worked once every 90 days to stay active. I know different districts do it differently, but that was really hard for us to track who do we actually have. You know, I can say we have 500 subs on staff, but if 200 are never working, then do we really have 500 on staff? So, you know, we updated a policy like that. So we, we changed the number of days to once every 30 days because another, you know, view on that is to me as an educator, if you're not in the classroom doing it, you're not getting any better at it. And so we need people in the classroom. We need you to get in there and experience it. We instituted a probationary period with our subs because sometimes it's a great fit and sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's we need to give them more support in a certain area. And, and, you know, instead of just saying, okay, you've come through orientation, we're going to set you loose, you you know, we hope you enjoy it. We wanted to be able to follow up more with them. And so we have that probationary period, you know, where they have a minimum number of jobs that they need to take. We get that feedback. We work with them. If it's an area that maybe, you know, the feedback we're getting is they struggled with management, then maybe we do something with them or we provide them an additional training or Maybe we see that, you know what, you're a better fit at the elementary level, and so we we direct them to that. But it gives us, by instituting that policy and that practice, it gave us the opportunity to have a better connection with the subs. And then the other key is just everything that we're doing has to be built around the relationships and creating that shared energy that's focused on the same common goal. And it has to come from the subs, from the school, from the sub program, from from everybody that's that's working with those students everybody has to be working for the good of the student. The, the little pieces in place, I mean, we may have to change the order that it's happening or, or, or be willing to change things. This year, we've had a, a more difficult year with just being creative with the staffing and, and making sure that because the staffing needs change, and, and they've changed quite a bit this year, different variables, but it's just being willing to, to roll with that and, and to try new things. And, and, and again, like I was saying with the, the specialized recruitment, we've not done that before with specialized areas, but that's something that we've had to do this year. And just being comfortable with not always doing it the same way that you did it. What worked in 2014 is not necessarily going to work in 2019. <laughs> How true. Melissa Isaac is the Director of Educator Quality at the Clarksville-Montgomery County School System in Tennessee. Uh, Melissa, it's really good. been really good to speak with you today. Thank you for joining you us. You too. Thank you so much. If you found this story helpful, interesting, or inspiring, or hopefully all three, don't forget to subscribe. 
Episodes are released every two weeks, covering leaders in K-12 who are creatively solving problems, using data to make better decisions, and tackling challenges in innovative ways. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education, the maker of Frontline Absence and Time. That includes Absence and Substitute Management, which you might know by its old name, ASOP. Frontline makes it easy to proactively manage employee absences, find substitutes, and track employee time and attendance all in one place. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Thank you.